afraid to die. She told me talk to your father, he's in the sky. Thursday, March 10th. We're back for episode two. This evening, Mr. Titus, our regular, is back, but we have brought, brought back from the netherworld, Mr. Matt Pinio. What's going on, man? Not much, Coop. Thanks for having me on, and uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Cool. So, let's get right to it. <clears throat> We're going to go a little pop culture, going to go a little, uh, a little comic book culture as well. So, today we had the release of Marvel's film Civil War, the final trailer where they debuted Spider-Man at, at the end. And I was thinking about, you know, just how this movie, it's kind of in a, in a weird place in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they just defeated Ultron together and now they're going to split and fight each other and then they're going to come back and join up to fight Thanos when uh, Infinity War comes out in a couple of years. So I thought this was a good time to discuss maybe some cultural civil wars that have been going on recently in our country. And also, Washington Nationals outfielder Brace Harper had some very interesting things to say about how baseball is changing and how he thinks that the game has become tired. And so, let me just read part of the quote from Brace. He was talking about how baseball's tired. It's a tired sport because you cannot express yourself. You cannot do what people do in other sports. I'm not saying baseball is, you know, boring or anything like that, but it's the excitement of the young guys who are coming out into the game now who have flair. If that's Matt Harvey or Jacob deGrom or Manny Machado or Jock Peterson or Andrew McCutcheon or Yasiel Puig, there's so many guys in this game who are now so much fun. Jose Fernandez is a great example. He'll strike you out and stare you down in the dugout and pump his fist. If you hit a home run and pimp it, he doesn't care because you got him. That's all part of the game. It's not the old feeling, hoorah, if you pimp a home run, I'm going to hit you right in the teeth. No. If a guy pimps a homer for you on a game-winning shot, I mean, sorry. So, Matt, what do you, have to th yes. what do you think about this, uh, the stuff that Bryce Harper has said, and how about it relates to maybe some unwritten rules in society that have changed over time? Well, I think, I think what he's getting at, and the, kind of the crux of this issue, is that People, especially people who are used to a thing being done a certain way, don't like it when things change. And um, you know, this is not the first time that, like, especially with baseball, right? We've seen change kind of work its way through the ranks, and you know, and, and, and we, you know, the the powers that be or the old guard, as it were, kind of kind of rebel against the change and try to find ways to slow it down or stop it altogether. Uh, I'll, you know, uh, um, Moneyball, I think, is a fantastic example of that. The, the book uh, that Michael Lewis wrote about the Oakland A's and their success um, just after the turn of the century um, dealt with this very fact. Um, and I think you can just kind of apply that sentence. People don't like change, generally, to just society broader. There are people who, people who, the haves, you know, people who, who, who have a lot or, or have grown accustomed to things working a certain way and maybe that works, that way works for them. Um, of course they're going to be fighting to keep things the way they are. So, Mr. Titus, what do you have to say about this? <clears throat> As... Institutions, man. Institutions are all about uh, forming. It's all about 
everything working out the way it, it used to. And people are nostalgic. You know, the people that uh, grew up in a certain era want things to remain like that era or be like the era that they didn't grow up in. And what they don't understand is that the young guys, uh, they, they play the game in a different way. They, they, they have a different understanding of, of what it is. For them, it's, it's all about having fun and getting paid for it. It's, it's a realization of a dream. Whereas in the past, if you were playing a sport, uh, let's say baseball, it wasn't the sense of like you could have it as a living. You had to have other jobs. Um, now you could play baseball, and it could be, it could be it. I mean, that's your that's your meal ticket. Um, and and then the game is going to even further change when you see now that endorsements are beating out um, sports contracts. So I think it's all this all just shows that what uh, Matt was saying, where the people that are in charge, the gatekeepers want things to be a certain way because that's how they understand the relative mathematics. But the things are changing. Um, and it's not that there's changing, but more so that um, people want to have more freedom when it comes to being creative. And Bryce Harper, Cam Newton, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kanye West, um, even in the music game uh, and fashion, uh, they show they show this knack. They show this uh, this push, this strife to to go beyond uh, just the like the parameters of of their institution. And I think it's a, a beautiful thing, but it's one of those things that people are not really ready for change. Not at all, especially in baseball. I cannot agree with that more. And I find it interesting that we call when I say we, I mean American culture. We call baseball. America's great pastime, but <laughs> the first four letters of pastime is past, so baseball has a hard time to get, getting to the future and to the present because it's stuck in the past. So I find it very, very intriguing that you, know, you have a young player who is pretty outspoken, brash, you know, likes to celebrate, talking about how you know, the game shouldn't be played like it has been. But when you think about why people would be upset with that, it's usually you know, athletes who had played before who want athletes who are in the spotlight now to, one, pay their dues exactly like people, players of the past did, and then, two, respect the game in the same way possible. But if you're going to respect the game, the game is different today than it was, you know, 15, 10, even five years ago. The game has changed. And it's not just sports. It's everything from, you know, education to even, you know, job hunting. I mean, just this past uh, October... I spoke on a panel at the University of Baltimore's law school uh, to some students who were trying to find jobs in international law. And one of my fellow panelists was this uh, older practitioner. I think he had been practicing for 15, 20 years. And a student asked him a question and said, you know, what's a good way to get on, you know, an employer's radar? And the practitioner went on to say how the student should write a personal letter and put it in the mail and then wait for a response. And when I heard that, I had to cut him off, and I said, wait a minute, that's not how things work today. If you do that, you're never going to get any attention at all. You've got to email, you've got to be on LinkedIn, you've got to stay active, you've got to write things, you've got to be on Twitter, you've got to really have an 
an online digital presence. I mean, if you're writing handwritten letters, I mean, when I was living in New York, <laughs> I've been kicked out of places trying to hand deliver job applications because they wanted me to email it. So, you know, the old school way of doing things has really, you know, changed. So when Bryce Harper was talking about, you know, the unwritten rules and how things are changing, Matt, what do you think is one big unwritten rule that, you know, maybe your, your parents might have grown up with and taught you, but it really does not apply today at all? Uh, hmm. Um, gosh, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, like, my mom was raised in a strict Catholic family, and so she had some of those beliefs, still does, and, and but my dad was, I don't know, he was more into modern times, um, so it's, that's a tough question for me to answer when I, you know, when I sit back and think about it, because I, I can't remember my parents ever really, you know, ever, ever really like saying, oh, no, 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 you can't do this. You're, like, you're, for, you're forbidden from doing this. And then me now looking back on it, I think, I, I can't think of anything where I disagree with them fundamentally. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, how can you tell me that I can't do this? Like, I'm not going to hold my kids to that standard. You know, I, I really can't, like, you know, I, you know, there was a time when, like, there's no way you could ever, you know, uh, you had to be married with somebody, right, before, you know, before sex, the whole nine yards, living with somebody, right, but, like, you know, my girlfriend, now wife, and I lived together before we were married, um, so I, I don't know, that, that, that's a tough one, I, I'm sure there are families out there, I just wasn't raised in a family like that. I guess my, my parents were um, a little bit more, I don't want to say modern, but a little, they just a little more liberal, I guess, in how, how, they, raised, how they raised me. Interesting. Mr. Titus, what about you growing up in uh, Philadelphia? Philadelphia, man. Uh, first of all, I got Nigerian parents. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's as old school as it gets. <laughs> I mean, everything was like, be polite, bow when you are in the presence or prostrate when you're in the presence of elders, um, standing up a certain way, sitting down a certain way, and uh, not calling your elders by their first names. Uh, in our culture, we call them Sa and Ma, basically like sir and ma'am. Um, so, I mean, those are all things that it's really weird for me, you know, t to call, you know, my editor, my um, people that I work with that are older than me by their first name. It, it took a while. And they were always looking at me weird when I, like, reply emails with sir. Um, like, you don't have to call me sir. Or, or I'll say Mr. So-and-so. They, they don't like that. They're like, you can call me Doug or you can call me Larry. So all of these things, um, you know, growing up, uh, that's what was instilled in me. And then then the world you go into tells you you kind of have to, you got to relinquish that in order to not be out of place. And a part of me feels weird, you know, because I, I, I attended an African church from time to time. And so switching from that, you know, world of, you know, not being necessarily, um, dealing with the, the, the responsibility of, of calling somebody um, by a title as opposed to their first name to switching over and 
and calling somebody by a title and, and bowing and prostrating and, and all of those things. It's not a burden, but it just it's just one of those things that I notice now um, growing up that I didn't notice before because it's so it's so like basically like second nature or even first nature that you know you just it's what you grew up with. But when I look back on it now and I reflect, yeah, there's a lot of unwritten rules uh, that I grew up with that you know that I still deal with to this day. Do I have a problem with it? Not at all. Um, but I'm sure anybody that was to come into my culture, like the Nigerian culture, will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to kneel before this person? Who's he? <laughs> um, <laughs> he's the garbage man. But uh, it's just, it's, it's different. Um, it's different for me. It's not something that I have a problem with. So it's interesting that both of you jumped right to either Matt with you talking about how your mother was uh, raised Catholic and then Mr. Titus for you how you know Nigerian culture is very old school. I find it interesting that both of you jumped right to something that we're talking about something that was passed down. You know like you're Matt for you your mother was raised Catholic presumably her mother was uh -huh. raised Catholic and that's or in some like that's where it came from. And then Mr. Titus for you it's you know I, I know it, Nigerian culture, it's it's one big family, so you know it's easy to figure out what the rules and proper decorum is because everybody practices it. But for me, I think that when I think about how I grew up in the suburb of Cleveland in a predominantly um, white neighborhood, um, for me, I mean, it was even more simple than that. I mean, just looking people in the eye, we know when you're speaking, you know, shaking hands, having a firm grip, you know making sure when you go somewhere you look presentable, you know, your shirt is pressed and you're, you're dressed appropriately. And also, I think <clears throat> one thing that's lost in today's culture is just waiting your turn to speak. And that's a function of choosing to listen to what someone else is saying. I think a lot of our culture today is trying to talk the loudest and the biggest instead of listening to what the other person is saying before you respond. And I think that resonates a lot more with our parents' generation than it does today because we're so quick to, you know, say things that may not be true. I mean, Mr. Tice, I'm sure you see things in, in the, the journalism world where people are so quick to publish headlines and facts before they actually check them. And then Matt, I know you and I know, know all too well that lawyers are very quick to prop things up, but then when their argument is declared invalid, it's, you know, a, a slow crawl back to reality. <laughs> so I find that very interesting. So when we think about unwritten rules maybe what's something okay let's say at work what do you think is an unwritten rule in the employment world that is evolving over time Matt what about what do you think um, one of the things I've noticed recently is like you know it used to be like you know the employee versus the employer or like the, the worker versus the manager or whatever like criticism critiques, feedback, it always went downhill, right? It always is like the the boss telling the worker what they're doing wrong, what they're doing right, etc. But at least um, I've seen a lot lately that it, it's it's sort of evolving now and employers are saying, wait a minute, we want to hear what you have to say about your management. Like, give us feedback. How can we do better? And that, that's... So we can fire you. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> 
Hopefully they don't get have it to in writing. Get that. it in writing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's one of the things I've seen a lot lately is is like the feedback kind of culture is becoming like it's it's become it's doing like, kind of like a three sixty in the sense that or in the sense that they want feedback. Um, they want the management wants feedback from the employees on how they can be better managers. And I think I don't know not to get too like organizational behavior on, on the podcast, but uh, I think that's a good thing because because people who are in the position who are in position of you know the workers will hopefully someday be managers themselves. And part of this exercise of giving feedback and thinking about what the managers can do better is in a way prepping them to be managers themselves. So I think that's pretty cool. Okay. Mr. Thomas, what about you? Um, I mean, I, I agree with what Matt said. I mean, that's what I've seen that's very different is being able to go to your supervisor and really have a conversation as opposed to like, uh, you know, your employer giving you a list of demands and, and you having to meet it. It's, uh, it's really now more so getting this sort of feedback, which is good and sort of bad. The good in it is that it does leave uh, this sort of open space for communication. The bad in it, you know, even though I jokingly said uh, so you could get fired, I mean, that's, um, that's sort of a, a role that that sort of open line communication plays is to get to know the employee better, to know their deficiencies, to know where they're lacking, because everything is about working more efficiently. And, you know, you got to be very careful in communication with the supervisor because it's almost like a daily interview or a weekly interview or a morning meeting interview over and over again. And they're just looking for those little things that they're going to, duly note and then when it comes time to fire to let go to you know put you in a different department it's going to be like well this is the consistency that you showed here uh, when you told us this when you told us that and use your words against you um that's not to say that every employer is like that but that is majority of what the industry is like when it comes to having those kind of conversations so you have to be very careful about those things but it is it is a good thing um, that there is communication but an employee has to be wise about that that's interesting so for me I think <clears throat> this is especially true in the legal field because of how research and how technology has changed the way that lawyers work but for me, I think it's, I think for our parents' generation, it was an unwritten rule that if you're going to be at a job, you need to be at your desk and visibly at your desk so that your supervisor, whoever, can actually see you doing work. But in today's world, especially for, you know, us in the younger demographic, we, you know, we have ADHD, we have all this attention to set, you know, deficit stuff, and we like to move around. We're very, very kinetic. And so I think that when older employees may see younger employees not sitting at their desks from 9 to 5 because they're actually out conducting meetings or doing site visits or interviews or whatever you're doing, I think it has changed because some employers tend to think that, oh, 
this employee is not at their desk all day, so I, I can't verify if they've actually been working. When sometimes the absolute reverse can be true. When someone who's at their desk all day is doing no work, but the person, especially from a journalist's perspective, I mean, the person could be sitting at their desk all day pretending to write an article, but... You're not going to get me fired. Well, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. There, there could be easily a flip side to that where, where the person who's not at their desk is out there following up on sources, on sources, on sources. No conducting comment. Site, con conducting site interviews, traveling around, and then producing articles, you know, at the same time. So I think that's a big thing in the employment world. And I think that's driven by technology because, you know, you can, you can write an article on your phone now. I mean, you don't have to be tethered to a physical location to write something. You, you know, people got iPads, tablets, phones. I mean, you can even take your laptop with you if you, if you wanted to. So I think that's a big unwritten rule. Not, not enough for some professions, it's, it doesn't work that way. For example, if you're a physician, you have to obviously be in the hospital or at your, or at your place of practice to do that. You can't be... I mean, I guess you could do a house call if you wanted to, but that's not really the way things work today anymore. But now, now, now when the ro robot operational hands come into play, and you know, you could do a surgery like um, in Baltimore, overseas, in Australia. I mean, technology, like you said, is is really changing a lot of things. Um, I know for my profession, uh, you talked about writing stories on tablets and and iPhones and such. Um, I think that's one of the dangerous things. Um, really? Why, why, why do you say that? Because it gives, it gives employers a false sense of, like, we can do it all, and we can't. Like, there's a human limitation, and what you're seeing is a lot of burnout from all professions, um, whether it's medical, law, um, food service, journalism, media, whatever, what have you, people are burnt out. Why? Because they're expected to do more because of so-called technology and it makes it easier. No, it doesn't make it easier. You can have as much access to information, but if you don't know how to use that information, it means nothing. Just because I have a, a, an iPhone and I can uh, type a story doesn't mean I know how to actually type in a, in a, you know, in a fast manner that will get uh, that information out to my editors on time. And just because I, you give me an iPhone to take a picture doesn't mean I'm going to be able to take a quality picture. Because a person is given a camera doesn't make them a photojournalist. Uh, I, I think you, we're running into an era where um, these new technologies are breaking these unwritten rules, but it's causing greater problems for people because there's no such thing as, uh, I mean, like time off or being at a place where you can't do your job. Literally, you are on call 24-7, and that's dangerous. Now that, now that I agree with. Matt, go ahead. Well, for me, I mean, you know, my firm pays for my, pays for my cell phone for that very purpose so that... So, so you're never off the clock. Yeah, but I, I got to be honest with you, I don't check my phone. I don't check my emails. and. But they're expecting you to, no? But that's not, uh, no, I, I draw a line in the sand, man. Okay, when I, I, I work, I work really hard at work when I'm there, and I, and I work, you know, 10 hours a day on average. So when I get home at 7 o'clock at night, I'm done. I'm not doing more work unless there's something that's extremely urgent that's that's going to impact a client or something like that. I'm not doing it. 
Um, you so, know, we're always busy, so you can't keep giving me the excuse, oh, we're really busy right now. No, 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 we're always busy. So that's on management to make sure that, to make sure to manage the peaks and manage those peaks. Um, that's not on me. If, if we have a crunch because management didn't anticipate the work, that's, that's their fault. I get there are times when something comes up, the client needs something fast for whatever reason, and sometimes you got to do that, and, and I do when that happens. But I don't make it a habit. I don't, I, don't le- I don't let that become the norm. I don't answer emails on the weekends because I don't want to send the message to my, my, my employers that, oh, we can always ask Pinio for something because he's around. He's willing to do it. No. No. I, I will in certain situations when it's absolutely necessary, but for the most part, the ad. Just because we're always busy doesn't mean you can take my weekend away or you know, okay, take so the time to have my wife away. I love where this is going because I think the, one of the biggest unwritten rules in today's culture is that you know, when we're working hard, we're not sure if we should say no when we're asked to complete a task. But you just gave me a perfect example of when you're saying, no, this is, even though I have the phone with me and... I could easily check it. I am not going to be available because this is my time off. But yeah. I think, I, but I think the adage before, and this relates to something bigger, which I'm going to get to in a second. I think the adage before was, no, if my boss asks me to do something, I don't want to say no because I want to be able to make myself stand out and maybe I'll get that promotion. Because I think for our parents' generation, the mold... Or don't get fired? Well, no, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm going to get there. I think the mold for our parents' generation was that, you know, you go work at one place... You work there for, you know, 25, 30 years, get your 401k, and then you retire. But for us, we move, around, we change employers and change jobs so much that the threat of, oh, I don't want to look bad because then I won't be able to get that promotion in three years. In three years, I may, I may be working in, in a different country. So, I mean, it's, it's very, very different. I mean, yes, it's also, not, it's also not to get fired, but I think that because of the way that the, the work is, you know, happening and the way that we connect with each other, I think our, the, the, the unwritten rule for our parents' generation was, you know, if your employer asks you to do something, you, you better have a really good reason for not saying no. But for us, I think it's the threat of fear of saying, you know, oh, I, I can't say no because this might happen. I think it's really dissipated for us because, you know, you have people leaving Goldman Sachs to go create startups and all this stuff. I mean, the, the opportunities are, I think, much more in our face than they were, you know, for, for our parents. This is the era of entrepreneurship. Um, this is an era where uh, I was talking to John the other day. Uh, we were at um, at an establishment. I don't want to give anybody plugs. Uh, so we were in an establishment. A gentleman's establishment? No, where you can eat food and not see anything obscene. Anyway, so um, we were we, we were eating, and I was saying like, if you're a parent right now and you're not teaching your children how to be entrepreneurs you're doing a disservice because it because of the global market the fact that you're in a global competition for jobs and you could be assigned anywhere and you got to be willing to go anywhere you got to teach that child how to be able to build their own business um, by themselves because you might not be able to get that job until three years down the road and you might not be able to get a job within your field until three years down the road so what are you going to do in the meantime when you have to work at Starbucks 
or McDonald's or such and such. How do you maintain, you know, doing that 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 thing that you want to do, that thing that you love to do, uh, even though you're not necessarily in the door? And that's the key, like for now. Like now is all about having your own podcast, having your own social media presence, your own online presence. Because if you don't have that, you're really behind. Well, I think I think it kind of depends what you want. You know, and what I'll what I'll say is like not you know not everybody has something that they can sell or a service they can sell necessarily, or has the winning idea that they can that they can leverage to you know create a, a living for themselves. But what I will say, what, 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 the way I think about what you said is, I think you need to you need to think about what your personal brand is, right? How how you portray yourself, uh, how you comport yourself with with. Uh, your colleagues um, online on social media and things like that. I mean, not necessarily a business, right? Not dollars and cents, but but your personal image, your brand that you show to everybody else. That's the thing that you have to protect and maintain, even when you know you're try you're, you're not doing exactly what you want to do. You're working at Starbucks, hoping to do something different. Um, you still have to be conscientious about about your personal brand. And again, that's another thing that my firm we like to think a lot about. So personal brand, that's an interesting I mean I mean we look at like I mean just in, within our firm, right? We have, you know, a personal brand and it's kinda like, you know, you know, what have you done? What 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 skills have you demonstrated? Um, where where do you show uh, pro, a propensity for growth. You know what's what's your proclivity? Um, and whoa, 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 man! You're using words, man. You're using words. Says <laughs> says the journalist. Journalist, man. Says the journalist. Right. Oh, I need my dictionary. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, uh, let me get my. I, 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 all, all I all I mean is all I mean is 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 you you've got to be. I and I think Yami, what you're saying is that. Is that in this in this day and age or whatever, you've got to be always you have to be conscientious about how you comport yourself, yep. what image you portray. Yeah, um, that's the personal brand that I'm talking about. And it and 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 it, it can be very like work oriented, like what skills you can do when you're on the job, and mm -hmm. it can be a little bit softer, right? Like how you can connect with people and how you can connect people. Right. Oh, that's. That's very true. Can we talk about Captain America and, and Tony Stark? Yes, please. Yes, okay, absolutely. Can we, can we get into the fun stuff? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. It's good to see Yummy has not changed <laughs> at all. May 6th, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, okay. May six, May 6th, 2016, we're basically getting uh, Avengers 2.5 because there are more characters in this than Avengers Age of Ultron. So on Team Iron Man, we have... Tony Stark, James Rhodes slash War Machine. We have Romanoff slash Black Widow. Then we have Vision. And on Captain America's team, we obviously have Cap. We have Falcon. We have Hawkeye. We have Ant-Man. And we have the Winter Soldier. But Marvel secured the rights from a certain character. 
from Sony, and they threw him into the end of the trailer. Spider-Man is back on the big screen, so I sent you both the trailer earlier today. Now, this is a very interesting, I don't know if you got, I mean, I think you've read the comic book. I don't know, Matt, if you have, but this is actually one of the more fascinating storylines because it's really about the moral code of what it means to be a superhero. So, Mr. Titus, for you, what are you looking at, looking out for uh, in the movie? Ooh, I, I just met, I just realized I forgot to mention Black Panther. He's on Team Amer uh, Iron Man. Go ahead, Yummy. How do you forget Black Panther? Man. Anyway. Shout out. Uh, Ch Chadwick Boseman. Go get him. <laughs> uh, you know, you, speaking on just the trailer alone, I, I thought it was a great trailer. Um, you know, giving people an idea of what it's going to be about, um, showing a little bit of action. Obviously, everybody wanted to see some new characters, Black Panther, Spider-Man coming out of nowhere at the end. That was great. I, I think what you're going to have here is a film that hopefully, hopefully the writers get this right. That really challenges, um, you know, what Stark's position is and, and, and what Captain America's position is. Because you got to think, human beings have become weapons. And think of it like this. In, in this modern world, this reality that we live in, um, any weapon has to be registered somehow, some way. Whether it's a knife, um, depending on what size of the knife, but um, a knife, a, a firearm, obviously something that's a bomb. When you're talking about human beings being weapons, the question becomes, should they be registered? Should you have this sort of list of this person is like lethal or this person can do this this person can do that should they have to register and I'll, i'm really interested to seeing how that debate plays out um when when you think about superpowers the ability to destroy world cities universes that's what really stuck out to me i guess if i was younger it would just be the the action sequences but now that I'm a little bit older, it's more so about the dialogue. No, this is, I completely agree, because this is probably the first Marvel movie where you're not really going to see, I mean, I know that uh, Crossbones is in this as the villain, and then there's another character who I'm not going to mention, because I'm not even sure if he's in it, but I think this is the first Marvel film you're going to see where the villain, there really isn't one, so it's not going to be a one-off. You're going to see some very, very... I would say, you know, probably the best character development they've seen so far. Just from the trailer itself, Iron Man looked very, very focused and emotional. There wasn't really a lot of the the, the bravado and the suaveness there. He looked focused and, quite frankly, a little pissed off, which I liked. Um, but I think, I'm not sure how the action sequences are going to work because I'm pretty sure all of these characters are going to be in Avengers 1, so I don't know how they're going to reconcile um, all that. But Matt... What do you think? Um, so, a couple of thoughts. One, there we go. <laughs> one, I saw I saw the trailer today too, and and I liked what I saw. I have I have some concern uh, about go. <laughs> about how the how the filmmakers are going to meaningfully tell a story with this many characters. Um, mm. not, not to say that it can't be done, but I found that. The Avengers story worked best when it had the core group. Avengers 1, I thought Avengers 2, it got a little bit sloppy, a little bit noisy, because you got too many characters, um, and you were trying to kind of get
give them all a certain amount of uh, screen time, and, and what you ended up happening is you just didn't have any real development for the characters, and, and I thought that was a shame. Um, and and also, and I, Coop, we've talked about this before, um, sometimes more recent comic book movies have sort of suffered with a really, like, static villain. You know, not a very dynamic character, not very right. interesting, not right. very developed. Now, you said that this could be different because there's not necessarily going to be a, a villain. And so, on one hand, if they can pull that off, that would be really cool storytelling. Because, you know, how, what's, you know what's the conflict going to look like? I mean, we can, we can care a lot about both characters. And so, you know, you care a lot about Cap, you care a lot about Iron Man. And so, if they can pull that off, I think it could be really, really, really cool and different. Oh. Like, my concern is you're juggling a lot of balls now, right? I mean, you've got all these different characters, and you've got to, you've got to tell a meaningful story from it. Well, so let's see it. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'll, I'll be there opening day. I think the big, I mean, at least from the comic book itself, I don't know how closely they're going to go to it, but it's really, I think they can get away with it because there's literally two different sides. One side believes everybody should register. The other side believes no, our identity should, should stay a secret. We shouldn't have to answer to anybody. So I think that's how, I mean, my mind you, every character has a different reason for joining each side, but it's pretty clear to see, okay, if you're on Team Iron Man, you support some version of registering. And if you're on Team Captain America, you support some version of no, I should, you know, stay hidden. I shouldn't have to divulge my identity. Because in the comic book, the reason why Spider-Man is in this is because Tony Stark in the comic book is trying to get, you know, the heroes to reveal their identities. And Iron Man actually gets Peter Parker, I think it's even at the White House, to come on stage with him in his Spider-Man suit, take off his mask and say, I'm Peter Parker to the whole world. And that's kind of how the, the, the wheels get turning. So I don't know if they're going to go ahead and reveal that he's Peter Parker in this film because I think he's getting at least two standalones after this. But I think that, you know, with the way things have gone up and linking the Winter Soldier into it, that's also how they get Black Panther because in the comic book, I think the Winter Soldier assassinated Black Panther's father and that's why he's involved in this. And obviously at the end of the Winter Soldier film, uh, Bucky kind of got his memory back so he's not the, you know, mindless killing machine anymore. So I think that, that's why Cap is so, at least from the trailer, why he's so hell-bent on protecting his friend. But Matt, I agree with you. There is no hardcore villain and I think... Crossbones or the other villain that I'm thinking of may set something off kind of behind the scenes, but the movie's really going to be about, okay, who supports Cap, who supports Iron Man, how are they going about doing it? So, so one thought I had about that specifically was uh, um, the... I just lost my train of thought here, I'm sorry. Uh, never mind, I'll come back to it. My apologies. Okay, so Matt, have you read the comic book? No, I have no, not read the comic book. You have not. Okay, so what? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll jump in. I just thought. I just, sorry. So I think I just have this. I'm going to throw this out here. We'll see if I'm right. I have a feeling Spider-Man doesn't come in until the end of the movie. It like like one of the very last sequences we see Spider-Man. That's my thought. Well, I read that they they were calling it a cameo, so I could uh, yeah totally see yeah. that. I mean, I don't judging from the way the story looks like it's been built, especially since they brought back. Um, I can't think of the actor's name, but he was the general in Edward Norton's Incredible Hulk. He's back in this, I guess, in a trailer. He was pushing up the their version of the Registration Act. 
So I don't, I don't see how Spider-Man is going to have a huge role in this. I think it's more of a, hey, we finally got the rights from Sony. Here he is. He's not really, gonna yeah. do, not, yep. not really going to do much. It's, but, a, it's a marketing ploy. It's a marketing ploy, and I'll pay money to see it. I'm actually Jump. fascinated by um, what they're going to have Scarlet Witch and Vision do in this movie because Scarlet Witch is really, really powerful, and she kind of started to get that after her brother died at the end of uh, Age of Ultron. And Vision, right. we still really have no idea exactly what he can do. So I'm fascinated to see how that works out because that's, that seems like the trump card for both sides because the Hulk and Thor are not in this. So everything else is really just, you know, you either have some sort of tech, you're very specialized at something, or, you know, you have a version of the super soldier um, serum working for you. So, uh, thoughts on this? You think you think anybody dies in this? Um, the trailer leads me to believe that um, Iron Patriot dies, um, and, and I hope not because he's a fun character. War Machine, um, yeah, I really do not hope that. And, and as a side, they can't cannot kill a black character. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna go ahead and say <laughs> that. That no, <laughs> that, no, no, it, no, it no, so, no, it would no, be so no. Hollywood to kill a black character. And then introduce black people. Yeah, no, you, 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 can't, so you can't swap one for one. I'm going to walk that out of the theater if you... There can only be one. And, and it's, like, it's, it's Don like, Cheadle. I'm, I'm like, going to walk out of the theater if he dies. Yeah, Don, by the way, Don Cheadle's the fucking man. No. We can all agree to that. No way. They have Anthony the Key on one side, then they have Don Cheadle, and then they have Chadwick Boseman. If they kill Don Cheadle, See, I'm going to... No. They're going to kill Don Cheadle, and then, you know, Black Panther, you know, he's really like an independent... So the only real black guy there left is is uh, was Anthony Mackie's character. And he had so, such a sidekick line at, at the end of the first trailer they released when they all show up and he goes, "What do we do, Cap?" <laughs> 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 he goes, "Oh, we fight." Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Come yeah. on. It's 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 it's, it's so, bad. So here, here's the here's the thing. I think one thing that I'm excited about, not about this movie, well, sort of. Is that Black Panther is going to have a standalone movie? Yes. With Ryan, yes, with Ryan yes, Coogler yes. directing, who since Fruval Station has been my favorite director, next to uh, Jeff Nichols, who uh, directed uh, Shotgun Stories, Mud, um, and now is going to be directing something uh, called uh, Midnight Special. But um, I think I think that movie is going to be is going to be great because I think Coogler has a sense of really. Doing a good job, uh, just presenting a story, uh, not just visually, but in terms of dialogue and, and and just storytelling. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I like the costume for Black Panther. The, I mean, it just looks, it looks intimidating. It looks well done. Uh, I really hope they let him speak a lot in the movie. He's not well, just. Well, a... that's what I'm hoping they don't. You don't um, want to really, because. I'm not really sold on Chadwick Boseman as an actor. Um, I know people like him, but he's one of those guys that, like, he's played a lot of roles, and it's been a lot of, like, biopics, and he's just never been a type of guy that's really, like, fascinated. Put the actor aside. As Uh the first major black superhero to appear in the MCU and actually have, and getting a standalone film... He can't just be a, a hired thug to help catch the Winter Soldier and then go back to his world. It would be so Hollywood, though. I know, but they can't. I, I just, no, no. They, have you not seen the Oscars lately? No, I didn't watch. I don't know what, I, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it would be so Hollywood. Okay, no, so, I hope, Matt, I, I have to... He doesn't, 
Okay. Because here's the thing. How much input does Ryan Coogler have in the Black Panther's character in this film? I, I had no idea, but Matt, as a... I, mean, I, have, a feeling, I have a feeling they're not even going to really... The reason why you're not going to hear a lot from the Black Panther is because because if, if you did hear a lot from him, he would take up a ton of screen time. And yep. I don't think, I, I don't think uh, a movie like this where you have a lot of different characters running around is is the is a great place to really introduce a new character. So no, bring I'm, him in to set up I think generation two. Right, and, but I mean or phase two. And he'll start get, or you know the next the next generation of Marvel superheroes. I, I want them to show and make it compelling as to why he's there and why he's you know, because he, Yes, know. that's true. They they have to, otherwise it falls apart a little bit. Right. So that's that's really going to uh bug me if it doesn't but like like you said, there's a lot of characters in this. I mean, I read that, you know, um, I think Hawkeye, uh, Jeremy Renner and Paul Rudd basically talked their way into being on screen for this, and I saw Ant-Man had his own little thing where he was shrinking yep, on one of the... I saw that. I bullets. saw that. So, I, mean, I, I think it's interesting what they're really doing, but, I mean, I don't know how... I think this is really... It, it's a test case for Marvel to see how in the world they're going to pull off Infinity War, because yeah, I, I went back a couple weeks ago, and I, I have the comic books, and I read them. There's so many characters. You got Adam Warlock. You got Doctor Strange. You got Silver Surfer. There's and then the original, the original Avengers and Wolverine. There's just there's so many characters, and it's just Thanos by himself. I, I don't know how they're gonna do that. Isn't um, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, part yeah. of Doctor Strange? Yes, yes, yeah. he is. Yes, he wow. is. Which I'm fine with. I, I like I like the Cumberbatch. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, Mar- I Marvel love, has some. I love the freaking uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, they have some good stuff coming. But uh, all right, gents, we are out of time. Cool. Before, you go, before, before you hang up, hold on. Okay. I gotta ask you guys: Did did you watch? Overtime. Like, go ahead. Uh, the, the the new X Men movie, the, the Ryan Reynolds uh, Deadpool. Oh, movie. I love Deadpool. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, loved it. It's fun. Oh my that goodness. Was a movie. And you know what? It had the most basic, boring villain too. <laughs> oh, no, totally, dude. Totally. Yeah, he was totally. Totally, pointless. totally the antithesis of what we just talked about. Completely. Still, still such a good because it kind of turned. Paul Cyril's uh, uh, superhero movie trope on, on its head. You know, it actually, you know what, it reminded me of Kick-Ass a little bit. A little, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. no, I, I love Deadpool. And I really hope that they, they somehow sneak him into whatever comes after Apocalypse for X-Men. I don't know, yeah, I'd be, I haven't heard anything about what the plan is, but I think they're going to wrap up, like, um, you know, the, the storyline with, with Apocalypse. Well, I, I don't know. my concern with X-Men is that now that they've brought uh, Spider-Man to the Avengers, they're going to have to bring Wolverine, and they have to let Hugh Jackman do it before they hand it off to whoever's going to take his place. They're going to give it to somebody different. Oh, they can't do that. They can't go Hugh Jackman to somebody no, different? No, if you're going yeah, yeah, no, to... They, they can't do Hugh Jackman. I mean, he's... If you do that, then he has to be in the next generation. They, they yeah, can't. they've got to find somebody else. They have to, they have to find somebody so just like Spider-Man. Yeah, but he's so good. Like, there's, in my opinion, in my, hear me out. I don't think there's one actor who embodies the superhero, the, 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 the superhero that they play as much as Hugh Jackman does. I mean, he is he is Wolverine when he takes when he takes like there's he's perfect. I don't think any other any other actors nailed it as well as he has. Uh, I think Wesley Snipes is pretty close as Blade. Oh, Blade, that's, that's fair. Blade's one that kind of slips. You don't think about Blade as much. Adam, that was kind of before. I, I, I think Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, I think Snipes, 
Blade, I think Wolverine. I'm a mean, Hugh Jackman, Wolverine. I, I, I think those all. I think uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. as as Iron Man. Yes. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess. That, I, I mean, he he's playing himself basically. Yeah, I would say I would say Downey Jr. Downey Jr. and Jackman. And, and I would say Jackman gets yeah, just because you realize you realize he's been playing Wolverine for like twenty years now. It's since like I think ninety nine. Was that I have the Blu-ray Blu right here in front of me. I have the, the original X Men Blu-ray, and it came out in. I think it was ninety nine. Uh, no, two thousand. Two thousand. Two thousand. So for sixteen years, and he'll he'll yeah, he's having one more Wolverine movie come out in two thousand seventeen or eighteen. So he'll be he'll be the same character for eight. Years, which is wild. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he's done this spectacularly, and it's, yeah. it's going to be di it's going to be difficult for people to accept somebody different. I agree. Yeah. I, I I think they have to do that just so that. Oh, they got to. No, um, they can do a new Wolverine, but I'm saying when it's with the Avengers, it has to be Hugh Jackman. Oh, no, that's a good point. You can't that's just bring point. in someone new. Just for the Infinity War at that moment, that, that's just I don't. Is there, is there any talk about? Jackman actually going to be in the Infinity War? I haven't heard anything about that. I don't know. I I'm just, I'm just saying, having read the comic book fairly recently, okay. there's mo there's so many, they're going to have to pick and choose who they're going to, because then they're going to have Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be included. There's there's so many characters they have to include, and I, I just, now that they brought in Spider-Man, you, you, you shouldn't do it, I mean, they really shouldn't do it without the Fantastic Four either, but that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, Get Michael B. Jordan on the phone! <laughs> Well, I mean, what, you going to let Chris Evans play Torch or Captain yeah, America? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> what are we going to do here, Jets? I mean, Get I, Michael B. Jordan on the phone! I mean, I, I don't know. Okay. All right, boys. All right. We'll thanks, for, th thanks for this. Cool, this is a fun conversation, guys. I appreciate you bringing me back on the, the podcast. Of Let's course. Do it and we're back we every week now. before the NBA playoffs start. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, we'll talk basketball. Talk about this. the Suns not making it? Dude, don't even look. Dude, <laughs> you're going to kick a man when he's down. Is that he's what a Sixers is? fan. He's a Sixers fan. Of course he's down. What? what? Yeah, well, whatever. You guys are down on purpose. We actually made some trade. <laughs> Trying to be good, and we still suck. <laughs> you trade away, every point guard you draft. That's what happens. Oh, why do we? Why do we keep getting point guards? Like, how many point guards do we need for for Christ's sake? I don't know. It's I don't know. A, a lot. Let, let's let's have. Wait, wasn't your? Didn't your favorite player used to be Kevin Love? Whatever happened to him? Is he still playing? He see, became... <laughs> see, let, let me let me quickly talk about that. See, Kevin Love was my favorite player, but that changed when I realized that he wasn't that good, and I I left right on time. As soon as he got to Cleveland, he got exposed. Okay, on that note. <laughs> all, right. all right, guys. I'll talk to you all later. All right, guys. All right, sounds Peace. good. Have a good See night. See you, guys. Peace. They say everything you go through in life makes life worth living.